All right, we are live. Welcome back to Subject to Change, everyone. I'm your host, Xander, and we are back with episode five of season two with a punk, alternative, and grunge episode. And today, I am joined once again by Max Ki. What's up? Thanks, What's going on? Thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. So for those who didn't listen to season one, um, Max was actually my first ever guest on the show. Indeed. Um, and in that episode, we actually just explored specifically 90s grunge. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of similar, um, but we kind of expanded the genres a little bit just for this episode to get more diverse artists um, and just some different sounds going on. So, yeah, no, they're fine. Um, so yeah, first up, we're going to start with These Important Years by Husker Du. So Husker Du is an 80s band that I really like. My dad put me onto them when I was younger. Um, for those who don't know, lead singer Bob Mould, great musician, very talented. Um, are you as familiar with Husker Du? I'm, I'm really not. I mean, like, I think I've told you that before. They're not, like, necessarily a band that I have, li- A, listened to like a lot of it at all really um and i'm not really familiar with their background either so i mean i'm kind of okay i believe bob fresh ears yeah that's perfect and in many ways that's kind of the exciting part aspects of the show is getting to expose people to new music so as far as i know bob mold is from minneapolis minnesota so they're like a midwest band um widely considered to be very influential in the punk scene in the early stages of it and influencing a lot of the other bands that we'll get into so i thought it was just a fitting way to start today's episode all right so yeah here's these important years by husker du Really think you know what's coming next 
That was These Important Years by Husker Du. Yeah. Any thoughts? Uh, I mean, like, I, I didn't, again, I, like, I didn't, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that it was, like, my favorite thing ever, but, like, I enjoyed it, you know, more than I thought necessarily mm-hmm. I would. Like, I, I would definitely, like, give them more of a thorough listen. Yeah, and I think. explore more of what they have to offer. For sure. I think that's worthwhile. And, like, this album's interesting because, as I understand it, it's called Warehouse Songs and Stories, and it's literally, as the band was disbanding, they literally just cleared out whatever warehouse they had all of their like previous recordings in oh, so it's, kind stuff. Of reflect, it's like a compilation more than a exactly album. so it's kind of just whatever wasn't released up until that point um, that okay. they just compiled and this is actually probably my favorite album i know candy apple gray which is i think their second album um is more highly regarded but okay. this is probably my favorite work by them so interesting all right yeah okay. so I definitely keep a lookout for them. All right, next up, we have 2 by 4 by Blind Melon. Now, Blind Melon is a personal favorite of mine. I don't like them. <laughs> I, I remember the last time we... I know, I you were last a time fan. We, yeah, we, I think we played them during the first episode, and I was like, this is totally... You weren't a fan. That's okay. I mean, they're definitely a weird Only mix. My um, yeah, they're definitely a weird mix of a lot of different genres that either you like or don't like, and for me... Oh, for sure. It just melds really well for me, but you're totally entitled to think otherwise. So I think the song I played the first episode was Tones of Home, which is off their self-titled album. Um, This is off their album Soup, which is considered to be one of the most underrated rock albums of the 90s. So take it for what it's worth. I think, I mean, for, well, I mean, for, yeah, for what it's worth, I mean, I do, I think the cover art's cool. You think the cover art's cool? Okay. If that, if that counts for anything. There you go. So, um, yeah, I think it's a little different, probably a little more upbeat than the first song I played by them, if I can remember correctly. Um, but yeah, just another album of theirs that I really enjoy throughout. So yeah, here's 2 by right. 4 if I want to do it.
All right, two by four by Blind Melon. Better or worse than the last Blind Melon song? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I would say yeah. I would say that it was a good song. Like I, I like I enjoyed it to an extent. So <laughs> to I, an I, extent. No, I, I mean, so with that answer, I would say better. Yeah. Better. Okay. Yeah. We're trending in the right direction. For me, Blind Melon's just such a tight group. Like, there's four members, I believe, and each of them just plays their respective instrument incredibly well. Sure. Um, and their lead singer, um, Shannon Hoon, tragically passed away, like, right when the band was actually getting popular. Oh, actually? Um, yeah, like, when, while they were on tour, I think he overdosed. So, that's always kind of overshadowed their history. But I believe since they've gotten a new lead singer um, and are concurrently on tour, so... Yeah, there's definitely a band. I think they're actually playing like Brooklyn Steel this summer, which is interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah, so if I got an opportunity to see them, I definitely pounce. So, yeah. All right. Next up, we have Let Me Drown by Soundgarden. So, Soundgarden is one of my favorite grunge bands, I'd say. Like, they're a staple. Um, and Let Me Drown is the first song off their classic album, Super Unknown. So, I assume you're familiar with yeah, that I record. Yeah, I Um... And do you have any thoughts about Soundgarden? Uh, I mean, I like, like, I don't know. I, again, I haven't, like, listened to them too much, but, like, Black Hole Sun's a good song. And, sure, um, yeah. I don't know if I'm a bit of a normie for saying that. But, like, again, I'm a small sample size from what I've listened to, but, I, you know, I don't think they're, like, terrible, terrible. Like, it's not my thing. I mean, like, Black, yeah, Black Hole Sun's a great song, um, but I remember the song that, like, we listened to the first episode wasn't necessarily my thing, but I, okay. I do try to keep an open mind when I'm listening to them because I, For sure. I know that like I'm respectful of like the legacy that they have. And, Absolutely. Uh, and now like Chris Cornell. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to like say like, oh, they're absolutely garbage. I think this, uh, I believe I played Spoon Man last time you were on. Yeah, but, it was that song. Um, this, and you weren't a fan of Spoon Man, which is fine. Um, but this song is called Let Me Drown and it's definitely harder and I think probably more up your alley. So, all right. Yeah, here's Let Me Drown by Soundgarden.
All right, Let Me Drown by Soundgarden. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, like, I, I, I think Spoonman in particular I just didn't like, but I mm-hmm. thought that song was much better. Yeah, I agree. And being that that's the first song on the for album, me, it kind of sets the tone um, oh, okay. for the rest of Super Unknown. Um, so yeah, if I were to tell you to listen to a Soundgarden album, it would definitely be that. Sure. Um, it's really considered like one of the better grunge albums ever made. So absolutely, I would uh, highly recommend. And yeah, R.I.P. Chris Cornell, um, great singer. And the music world is worse without him. All right, next up, we have your first song that you brought to the show. It is. Um, so it is "Where Boys Fear to Tread" by the Smashing Pumpkins. Excellent song, in my opinion. And, I mean, I'm a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan um, in general, and I'm not necessarily a, uh, an advocate that, like, you know, every single thing they've made is is excellent, but, you know, I do try to keep an open mind with everything that I listen to, um, especially, and that especially applies to their music. But, I mean, in this specific case, um, this song is from Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, which is... Probably their, yeah, they're, uh, you know, definitely one of their two uh, more iconic albums. I'd probably this prefer one Siamese Dream. This one, and the, yeah, Siamese Dream. But, uh, but yeah, th- I love this album, and I think this is a great song. I mean, it's not, it's definitely not, like, one of the mainstream hits. Mm-hmm. You'd say it's lesser known. Def- uh, yeah, definitely, but it's one of their heavier songs, and I do. I, I mean, I, I really do enjoy listening to this one. So. Cool, let's go for it. Okay, so we're Boys Fear to Tread by the Smashing Pumpkins.
All right, where boys fear to tread. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a... I think it's, yeah, an underrated Smashing Pumpkins song, at least from that album, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it, it really uh, kind of encapsulates the band's sound at that time. Or, or just, like, really... or Sorry, not even at that time, but, like, in the 90s, that, like, you know, the use of, like, the big muff pedal that they were using at that time, or that Billy mm-hmm. Corgan was especially mm-hmm. using at that time. Um, obviously, it's, you know, it can be heard on that track, and that, like, real, like, you know, heavy feel uh, you can totally sense from it so sure i mean it's it's a i know it's a quality that uh you know a lot of you know harder bands now like try to emulate mm-hmm. but uh yeah. yeah but do you say that they kind of pioneered that or did they i definitely think they were one of the bands that like pioneered using big muffs like i mean i think that's like that kind of cap that pedal alone captures a gr- uh you know a big chunk of like 90s grunge mm-hmm. in itself um but you know like it, there are other bands that have like you know taken off with it that like still. I mean, they don't like you know focus their sound around it necessarily like you know, the Smashing Pumpkins did on like Siamese Dream or Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. But I do think it was like a really big element in you know shaping their sound in particular. So interesting. Um. Yeah, it's a great album, and you know they have a just at that time they had a very distinct sound. For sure. I want to say, and obviously they achieved great mainstream success toward all over the world no i think that's cool that you bring up like the gear that they use because i'm pretty negligent to a lot of the stuff um when it comes to like the technical side of the music i'm listening to so i think that's good insight um and that's interesting because it's true like the the equipment obviously influences the sound of the band oh absolutely um so i think that's a good thing to. i mean i think a lot of i I, like obviously i don't know i'm not as knowledgeable about you know other groups on this uh that we've you know on this on today's playlist but uh i mean i know that pedal was greatly influential to a lot of 90s bands so interesting uh, i bet you know if if you really looked into each band in particular i'm sure that you'll see that pedal come up again and again and like i think uh later another band that like i selected a song by a whole i know they definitely used like distortion in their music i mean distortion's a, a huge quality in their music and i think you know I'm not sure if on this song in particular you hear that pedal, but you'll definitely hear it. In other tracks. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. All right, next up, we're going to continue with the sort of 90s grunge theme. Uh, Next up, we have Aneurysm by Nirvana. That's a great song. Great song. And the the version we're going to be playing today is from their 1992 concert at Reading. Yeah. Which is arguably their best live show I yeah, mean, you I mean, could you would say I mean a lot of it you kind of have to put the MTV unplugged thing in its own category because sure. that was such a unique sort of experience, um, but when it comes to like massive crowds like yeah I mean I would say it's an iconic performance yeah for an sure. iconic performance uh, and definitely I mean, iconic for them like this kind of certainly. put them on like a worldwide map I yeah. feel like um, coming off the release of uh, Nevermind so. yeah and, and watching the live performance I mean is is a crazy experience in itself yeah it's great crazy yeah so I highly recommend if you like the song or even just like Nirvana if you haven't seen the clips even though I think you can find a full set yeah. on YouTube yeah. Um, I highly recommend because the crowd's crazy and just the energy they bring is really incredible. Totally. So yeah, here's Aneurysm by Nirvana.
What a great song. Yeah, I mean, uh, we were just talking about it while the song was playing. I mean, I think it's, I mean, personally for me, it's one of my top, like I was saying, it's definitely one of my top five favorite Nirvana songs, but also like we were talking about how, or at least for, for me again, I, I like see it in as kind of different from, you know, these like album songs as it was made like during that Nevermind period. How, mm-hmm. Like it, it just seems like it kind of came out of a jam session rather than it was like, hey, you know, this is going to be like, you know, a song and like someone's going to start with like, you know, X part. Uh, it's just yeah. kind of put together. Yeah, I mean, it's but it's a phenomenal song. Yeah, I agree. So for those who don't know, Aneurysm is off. You said what the B sides album for or, smells or just, like Teen Spirit. No, no, it's a it's a B side for Nevermind. Or so I mean, it's, sorry, so that's just a song that came out of those sessions essentially. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's called Incest Incestside. Yeah, it's a, it's a compilation album, and I think it was kind of just made, you know, like for just like kind of like commercial reasons. Like I don't think it was like, hey, you know, let's you know we have all these songs playing around, mm-hmm. like let's just put it out. And funnily enough, the album cover for incesticide is the artwork i used for the very first subject to change episode not knowing that it was an album cover i just knew it was a kurt cobain collage yeah it's awesome um but it's kind of this weird dark like disfigured skeleton almost um which i feel like you can definitely get that same feeling from the song that we just played so definitely heavy but i really enjoy that song like you said definitely lesser known than a lot of their hits like smells like teen spirit or lithium or whatever it might be but I really enjoy it. And especially that live version. Like I said, if you haven't seen the crowd and like the way that they command the stage, yeah. it's really impressive. Um, and shout out my boy Dave Grohl. Killing it on the drums. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up. Yeah, excellent drummer. So next up, we have Sassafras Roots by Green Day. Yeah, and I mean, and it's from Dookie, which, I mean, Xander and I agree on that. That's an awesome Green Day album, obviously. Fantastic album. Um, and kind of like, the one that like kind of set them on the road to absolutely you know, I think stardom, to, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you should speak about the song because it's, it's it's one that I really don't know too much about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's favorite. kind of like a this whole featuring Green Day on this episode is kind of a tongue in cheek thing because they just released a new album that's god awful. Yeah, um, I believe Anthony Fantano, who I don't know if the viewers would know, but uh, he runs this fantastic YouTube channel, The Needle Drop. He gave it a zero out of ten. Um, and it's kind of sad to see a band that I really grew up on, like in elementary school, I thought Green Day was amazing. Um, and at that point they probably, they were like, they were solid, they were just on the release of like American Idiot and like all sorts of other like good albums around that era, but they've since tapered off. But this, as Max said, is off their 1994 album Dookie, which I regard as their best album and one of the best like power punk or pop 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 punk I don't know how you categorize I know Billy Joel Armstrong hates that he's not just punk, that it's like some commercialized version of punk, but whatever you want to call it, this is one of the best examples of that that I've come across so definitely. far. Yeah. Um, and this is just definitely one of their lesser known songs off the album, but I really enjoy it. I think their bassist and drummer are actually both fantastic musicians. Um, and Billy Joel Armstrong, who's the lead singer and guitarist, just kind of talks about like the realities of like teenage life and outside of Oakland, California. Sure. So your Sassafras Roots by Green Day.
Sassafras Roots by Green Day. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I was saying it's not, uh, you know, one of my, like, more listen, one of the songs I've listened to, uh, you know, many, many times uh, off of that album, but I really do like it. I mean, it's a good, it's a great song. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm a fan of the lyrics. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So. Yeah, it's just kind of like this carefree attitude that carries out throughout the album. Um, and as I was telling Max while the song was playing, I really like Mike Dernt's bass on that song. I think he has, yeah. he's actually a very underrated bassist, as is the drummer Trey Cool. I think he's a good drummer. Um, but that bass line's really good, and it just kind of keeps with this like upbeat, kind of lackadaisical For sure. attitude that they have throughout the whole project. So I really enjoy that song, and even though the newer stuff is not the best, um, I can still go back to these albums and enjoy them. Definitely. All right, next up, we have Max's second song that he brought to the episode today, and it is Asking For It by Hole. Yeah, so uh, Hole, the, you know, the band uh, fronted by Courtney Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wife Kurt of Kurt Cobain. Yep, exactly. Uh, well, now Widow. But um, yeah, this is from her album release, or uh, Hole's album from 1994, Live Through This. Um, and I mean, I actually kind of spoke about it a little bit on my radio show yesterday, but... Uh, you know, I first heard this album maybe, like, uh, the summer of, like, 2016 or something, and I was blown away by it because I hadn't heard, like, uh, you know, a female grunge band uh, or or just, like, you know, hard rock band in general um, prior to this point, like, no Bikini Kill or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I was blown away by it. And also, like, I just love, like, I was really attracted to just how catchy these songs were. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I like, I... I could not stop listening to it. Great. So when we were, you know, when I was brainstorming, like, what songs to pick, I thought this would kind of complement, you know, the other ones pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, you know, as a fun fact, I think Courtney Love even dated Billy Corgan at one point. Before, I have heard this, with, yeah. Before getting with Kurt, uh, Kurt Cobain. So Question, do you funny. know if this album dropped before or after Kurt died? Because you said it was dropped in 94, yeah. right? And what did you say the name of that one was again? Uh, Live Through This. Live Through This? I mean, it, yeah, it's like, kind of When I hear that, I like if either it foreshadowed his death or it was know. a response to it. I don't know, we could look it up while the song is playing. It yeah, I'd be interested to hear, um, because that would probably back. have a different uh, undertone to the that entire project. Yeah. So. All right, yeah, here's Asking For It by Holt. She 
That was asking for it by Hole. Yeah. Or, or you, yeah, your thoughts, I mean. Uh, it's interesting because I've never actually listened to Hole. I've always dismissed them and her specifically as being like too loud for my taste. Sure. Um, and I feel like the Hole that I've heard has just been a lot of yelling, but I actually enjoyed that song quite yeah. a bit. Um, and what you guys didn't hear while we were while the song was playing is we Googled the question that we had of whether this was released before or after Kurt's death, and we found out this was released a week. Yeah, after literally a week I mean, seven days yeah um so if i had to guess i'd say they probably had this album ready but she changed the album title yeah i would i would agree with that um I mean, I, yeah i'd be curious to actually read a little more about that yeah there's definitely history there um and i had no idea that she was even making music the year that he died so. yeah i mean whole whole had been around for a few years i think they released an album in 1991 which, mm-hmm. was, which is really good but it's definitely like i mean more like you know, stuff. Yeah. for sure. Um, but yeah, that's cool. And that's one of the things I love about this show is getting exposed to new artists like that. So now I'll probably check out this entire project. Well, all right. So I'm on Wikipedia actually right now. It says, uh, I mean, Wikipedia is Wikipedia, but, uh, yeah, it says, uh, despite this, uh, the album going multi-platinum and receiving critical acclaim, it was also subject of some public discussion regarding, and uh, some rumors, essentially, that Co- uh, that Love's husband, Kurt Cobain, who had died by suicide one week before the album's release, helped ghostwrite the album, which is interesting. Interesting. I mean, the songs are, I mean, like... Very Nirvana-esque. Uh, yeah, I mean, that doesn't... Maybe, I mean, yeah, I would need to think about that, but I was going to say, I mean, they have, like, 
the lyrics and and really the whole composition of the album is so great. And I'm not saying that, you know, Courtney Love like did was not doing that on our previous projects, but I think that adds like another like thing to think about when listening to that album. I mean, like whether maybe he wrote some of them or not. Interesting. interesting. Billy Corgan did write some of the songs on their album Celebrity Skin. So Oh, actually. I mean, I think, like, there is some co-writing something going on. Is he credited, or is that also uh, a ghost? It's interesting. I'm actually not sure. Okay. But, but, but like, he's publicly confronted it with, right. like, right next to her on stage. Interesting. So, okay. That's cool. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, definitely a history to this album that maybe a lot of people aren't aware of. So, all right. I think we're going to be able to squeeze in two more songs. So, the next song I'm going to play is Easily by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Now, this song comes off their album Californication, which is a fantastic project. Probably their most famous. Um, and I've actually been trying to play this song for a long time, but we've just never gotten to it. Whenever I like run out of time, this is one of the songs that I end up cutting, um, which is a shame because I really enjoy the track. So now we're finally going to get to play it. So, Max, any thoughts on the Red Hot Chili Peppers? You said they're not your favorite. They're, yeah, they're not my favorite, and I haven't listened to like a, a really, you know, uh, I haven't listened to a large amount of their catalog, but you know, like I'm I'm here for the hits, you know. All right. Like I like. I wouldn't call this a hit, but I definitely. Yeah, exactly. I, I've never heard the song before. But, Perfect. Uh, like again, it's not. Yeah, you know. Right we like that. Numbers, they're cool. There you go. You gotta like flee at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I actually want to read his book. Oh yeah, I've heard very good things actually. Um. So yeah, here's "Easily" by Red Hot Chili Peppers.
All right, that was easily by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, I, I mean, we were saying, uh, you know, Anthony, Ke- personally, I think the part that kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes when I listen to Red Hot Chili Peppers is uh, Anthony Kiedis' voice. I would agree. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, as I said, that he's probably my least favorite part of the band, ironically, because it's hard to like a band that you hate the front man. And I don't hate, hate's the strong word. Yeah. But I do think that Flea and the guitarist and their drummer are actually very strong. And that's kind of what draws me into that song, is really just the rhythm of everything going on. It really engages me. So. Yeah, totally. Anyway, we might have found a Red Hot Chili Pepper song that you like. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, last up, as we're quickly running out of time, we're going to play No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age. Now, this is an interesting project. I don't know that much history with the Queens of the Stone Age, but the reason I'm aware of this song and this band in general is because Dave Grohl is playing drums on this song. And the reason for that is this was at a very tumultuous time in the Foo Fighters history in which their drummer, Taylor Hawkins, had just come out of a coma. And they were on the verge of breaking up as a band. They just weren't getting along as songwriters. There was a lot of ego involved. Um, And the idea at the point of this recording, I think, was that Dave Grohl was to disband the Foo Fighters and become the full-time drummer of Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, interesting. Um, Which obviously didn't happen, and I'm thankful for that. But this is still a great song. Not a huge fan of the other Queens of the Stone Age albums. Um, Like Clockworks, an okay project. But... Uh, this song's really good, and this was the lead single, I believe they played this on SNL when it released. Um, but yeah, great song, and like I said, anything Dave Grohl, I'm on board for. So yeah, here's No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age.
once again, that was No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age. So yeah. any, any final thoughts? Yeah, no, no. I mean, like, I, th- I thought the song was, well, it wasn't bad. I mean, uh, again, I'm not, like, too familiar with their, uh, with their catalog, but, you know, given the story that you were saying about, like, Dave Grohl and, uh, you know, him essentially becoming a part of that group and, like, with the, the Foo Fighters kind of behind him, but, like, that weird, like, situation where he kind of just, like, came back and was like, oh, maybe not, stepping away from Queens of the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think there's some interesting context there. For sure. Uh, that, like, kind of, I don't know, like, puts the album, like, puts the album in that, like, a song in a new light. So, I couldn't some agree stuff more. to think about. Yeah, for sure. Um, like a lot of other songs we talked about today. So, yeah, that does it for us today. Um, thank you all for tuning in. This was a fun episode because, like I said, this is a lot of the music I just listened to on my free time, um, as I think I'd say for Max, too. Um... Max, you want to plug your show? Uh, yeah. Stick around for joy on Mondays at 8. <laughs> um, be sure to tune to that. You're doing a show next week? Yep. All right. Sounds good. Um, all right. We quickly are getting kicked out of the studio. I'm sure the next guys are going to kill it. Um, and yeah, the subject to change. I'll be back next week at 9 on Tuesday, tentatively with Gable for a Jimi Hendrix special, right, which I'm really excited for. Um, but yeah, thank you all for listening. And take care.